key pieces of what you just said that I think are so freaking important. Number one, you use the word conversation about a thousand times. Mm -hmm. And one of the main mistakes I see when it comes to people honoring traditional sales education or, or putting forth what they've been taught or the misconceptions of sales is people don't know that the art of sales is the art of listening, not the art of convincing. Persuasion is important. Persuasion comes into it, right? But if I came on to this podcast today with you two and I didn't listen to any of your questions, I just got my sound bites out, right? You just asked me that question and I was like, you know, I hear your question, but instead I really want to talk about objection handling. That's not what you asked me. So are you going to feel like I'm a good guest? I'm not listening to you. Right. At the same point, people on sales calls, which is still the number one way where sales are made, are in these conversations that are supposed to be conversations. But instead, we get on a call and we automatically pull our wall up as receiver or potential receiver because we know that we're about to get word vomited on. Right. Hello, and welcome to the Generate Your Value podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy McDowell, founder and owner of Generate Your Value, providing life, leadership, and small business coaching services in the Atlanta area. And I'm Zach Levy, your other co-host. I run a nationwide financial service business with my wife, Megan. Together, Zach and I have the intention to bring you tips, concepts, ideas, suggestions, stories, and analogies from A to Z, which will help you to grow your personal brand and small business in such a way that joy, happiness, and success as you define it for yourself are achieved. We hope to use our gifts, talents, and experiences in business to generate value in your life. And with that being said, let's move to our topic for today. Value Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach Levy. Thank you for spending your time with us this morning. As always, joined with me is Andy McDowell. Andy, good to see you. Good to see you, Zach. Uh, great to be with you today. Yes, sir. And we have an esteemed guest with us, Annie P. Ruggles. Annie, thank you for joining us this morning. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we're going to roll into a little bit about Annie. Andy, have to really enunciate that. Tell you a little bit about Annie, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll read her bio. It's a short bio, but I don't think it says enough about her. So we're we're gonna just slowly pull that out of her. And I'm emphasizing the word slowly because it's like ain't gonna happen <laughs> once you get to understand her bubbly personality and so forth. So you just gonna I may have to forewarn you, put your seatbelt on for this <laughs> next half hour, forty five minutes because it's gonna be fun. There you go. There you go. So Annie, for over a decade, has harnessed her Hulk-like disdain for hard sales, tacky self-promotion, and overly competitive sleaze balls as inspiration to help people find better ways to grow their small business. As the founder of the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy, she's guided hundreds of people towards making deeper connections, lasting impressions, and friendlier, more lucrative transactions and conversations. 
Her pride and joy is her podcast, Too Legitimate to Quit, Instantly Actionable Small Business Strategies with a Slightly Pop Culture Spin from that perspective. And I, I highly encourage you to jump over to your favorite podcast platform and check out our podcasts. It's I've listened to one or two quite, quite entertaining and you get your money's worth, so to speak from, from our episode. So I hope you'll tune in, but sales is one of Zach and I's favorite picks, mostly because both of us have done it or are doing it from that perspective. And we're both sort of on the same page, but real excited to hear what Annie has to say, say about it being it's her full-time job, so to speak, to deal with this. Zach and I kind of nibble at it around the edges, but I first want, though, Annie, to to dive into your background, because to me, it's fascinating. It's a great part of who is Annie P. Ruggles and the story. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about your background in theater and so forth and how, how it is you landed in the spot that you're currently occupying in the world? Heck yes. My my story, if you look at it up close, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. But if you look at it kind of in total, like a magic eye, and you kind of mm-hmm. like go in and out and in and out, you're like, oh, okay, that's logical. So really my entrepreneurial journey, I'm lucky it begins at birth. I was the kid of two entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So I grew up knowing that going your own way was possible for good and for ill, right? So I saw up close stuff like how amazing it was when my mom would get my mom is a hall of fame motivational speaker i could see people come up to my mom after speeches crying saying in one hour you just changed my whole life right so i knew about impact but i also saw that same mom have to wake up at 4 30 in the morning to go to the airport in st louis to fly to topeka to speak to you know the rheumatology associates of lower Topeka, right? At at 4.30 in the morning. And so I saw that too. I saw that the impact is there if the grind, the determination, and really just a boatload of hard work are in place. And then my dad's a business strategist, so I also watched him solve problems proactively within her business and other businesses, which was just cool to to kind of learn by osmosis. But people always used to ask me, well, when are you going to speak, Annie? When are you going to speak? And I would be like, never. That's my mom's thing. And I love my mom, but I was like, I don't want to be a mom clone. We already have one, right? So I never expected to go into personal development at all, ever, in any form, business or otherwise. I was just like, nope. So I went into theater and I have a degree in musical theater performance and I loved it. But shocker, I hated competition. I didn't like having to go weeks on end stressed about whether my next check was going to come from that gig. I didn't like, I'm not a competitive person naturally, but a lot of the people I was competing with were, and the the nature of our relationships would change. Everything came down to like one review in the Chicago Tribune, right? And it was just, it was not a good environment for me. So I pulled out of that more and more, but all the while I needed a job. So I was like, okay, where does a theater kid get a job? Broadway in Chicago, housing the big musicals, 
right? Like they come in, the tours, they need people, they need everything else. I was their promotions manager, the musical Wicked. I used to run their singing contest for all of these times. And I had no clue why I was in the marketing department. I knew nothing about marketing, but they needed somebody. And they were like, oh, our receptionist is kind of spunky. Let's chuck her in there. So I got this crash course in marketing. Theater marketing, big theater marketing, became small theater marketing, which became small art marketing, which became small business marketing, which became small business branding. Right. Then I'm out on my own. Then I work for soft for a software firm as their director of marketing and sales for five years because I was doing branding. Then that company got acquired and I was like, oh, thank goodness I don't have to be in software anymore. Then I went back out on my own. Then I started doing marketing and branding again. Then I realized none of my clients were making any money because I was sales avoidant this whole time. Still don't like competition. Still don't like arm twisting. Still don't like anything that could be determined as cutthroat. And I realized I was avoiding sales and my clients were modeling me. So I had to fix my own relationship with selling in a freaking hurry. And even then, I never expected that I would lump all this in and just totally go full bore into selling. Never, 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 never. But when I saw the impact that just opening myself up to correct and empathic and ethical selling strategy, when I saw the night and day difference that that exacted in my business, I knew that it's what my clients deserved. And here we are. So there's the whole story. <laughs> I've got to say, I, I love your story on that. I myself was in a sales career and it was in a corporation that had a culture of arm twisting. Yeah. And I said, I'm out. I'm never doing sales again at yep. one point. Right. Because nobody was teaching exactly what you said. Empath em empathetic. If I could speak English, I have trouble with that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ethical selling. Yeah. So with that being said, I mean, that transition's huge. And I think for most people, when they think of a salesperson, they think of that, you know, pushy car salesman. Yep. Right. But if you can speak a little bit deeper on, you know, what what you just hit on about, you know, empathetic and ethical sales, what do you define as sales more so? Ah, I love this question. I love this question. All right, listeners, first of all, if you need the stigma of the used car salesman, totally debunked then I need you to just reach out to me and I'll tell you a story about my grandpa who was a used car salesman. But I love the question of my definition of sales. My definition of sales is problem solving for money, period. That's the whole definition. Now, non-sleazy sales versus sleazy sales, non-sleazy sales honors the person on the opposite end of the transaction. Sleazy sales treats that person like a wallet. That's it. It's that simple. Are we problem solving for money? If so, sales. And are we honoring the person on both sides of the transaction? Are we honoring ourselves? Because that was my issue. I didn't honor myself in selling. I didn't know how to dishonor my client. I was just unwilling to do it, right? I had been taught the same nasty junk that we're all taught, right? But I wasn't willing to do it. And so instead, what I would do is I would dishonor me to prevent me from dishonoring them. And how I would do that is undercharging, excessive discounting, over-delivering beyond scope of promise, right? Like all of these things were because I wasn't honoring me because I couldn't bring myself to dishonor them. And I had been in sales roles in my myriad weird jobs where I had to sell somebody else's widgets, how somebody else said, 
right? And so I'd had to do a lot of that other stuff, but I had promised myself I would never bring that into my own business. I didn't promise myself a complete promise though. I didn't promise myself I would find a better way to do things. I just said, I won't do that. And that makes sense. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of good people pass up good opportunity because they don't want to be the pushy person. They don't want to be the sleazy salesperson. Yep. But for our society, sales has that connotation because there are so many unprofessional salespeople out there, Mm -hmm. right? So do you think, do you believe that, or let me rephrase that. What do you feel like is the biggest issue with that dishonoring? Because I've always said it's got to be a mutually beneficial partnership on both ends, right? So looking for a win-win. Right. And so for the person that can't, like like you were, I've been there. I'm pretty sure anybody in sales has been there at some point, right? Where they can't get over that hump. Would you agree that it's it's a self-valuation proposition? Like, ooh. ooh, I love that, right? Because like everything, there's a mindset part and a strategy part. There's mm-hmm. a mindset part and a strategy part to literally every single thing in entrepreneurship, small business, solopreneurship, you name it, right? There's always going to be a bit of both, right? But one thing that I think is so important is that before we can learn selling, we have to unlearn toxic selling. And so if we are, if we are white knuckle death gripped onto our previous definition of sales, informed by all the times we've been sold too badly, we're going to have a real issue embracing more ethical tactics because it's still not going to feel right. Right. And so we have to be willing to drop the definition of all the times we've been sold too badly as our definition of sales. And we also have to allow ourselves, because there's a bit of fear of success here, to understand that if we get really good at sales using our natural gifts and talents, that doesn't hurt anybody, right? That helps. We are out here to change lives and impact value. Whether you're a cupcake baker or a life coach, it doesn't freaking matter. You're solving problems. You're enhancing lives, right? But So many people are like, well, until you value yourself, until you value yourself, yes, absolutely. Until you are willing to say, what I do is valuable, which is a lot of what a lot of us can do, and only I can provide that value, so I better be compensated for it, is that extra jump, right? It's that self-inclusion, right? So it's including me in the success of my client so that we can both prosper simultaneously. And that is a jump. And that is an adjustment. Yeah. So talk a little bit about attachment to outcomes. So I used to coach my business development and sales people at Boeing, Mm -hmm. where we were traveling around the world and dealing with different cultures and different governments and so forth. Mm-hmm. Don't get attached to the outcome. If, you, if you're going to attach yourself to an outcome, attach it to making a new friend. Oh, right. It, Somebody cross stitch that into a little embroidery square. Well, Cause that's it, true. Relationships are valuable. You, you happen to have some services or products that you represent that might solve a, a problem that the customer has. But you need to set the foundation and the stage for that 
conversation, which is a little bit more of an upper level conversation. You need to start with a foundational conversation where you're getting to know the person, you're getting to know the company or the organization that you're talking to or the person on the other side of the table represents and trying to understand where the problem set is or what their goals are. Mm-hmm. may not have a problem, but they've got a yearly goal, a three-year goal, a five-year goal of where they're trying to get themselves to, in which you might have a product or service that can assist them, enable them, whatever it might be, in achieving those goals. So it's not always necessarily a problem. Mm-hmm. But you got to go in and have that those conversations first before you can even plug and play, so to speak, what your product or service could do. So you've got to start with those foundational conversations first. And out of that conversation, you might come to understand that, no, no nothing here for us. But because I was going after an outcome of a friend in, in a new relationship, who's not to say that you might be a good fit in two years? Exactly. That you might want to check in with that relationship every once in a while going, hey, how's that, you know, three-year goal that you were working on? How was that going for you? Oh, we threw that in the trash. And now we've got a whole new set of goals. Oh, let's go have lunch. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so what, 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 what are your thoughts on, on those aspects? Two key pieces of what you just said that I think are so freaking important. Number one, you use the word conversation about a thousand times. Mm-hmm. And one of the main mistakes I see when it comes to people honoring traditional sales education or or putting forth what they've been taught or the misconceptions of sales is people don't know that the art of sales is the art of listening, not the art of convincing. Persuasion is important. Persuasion comes into it, right? But if I came on to this podcast today with you two and I didn't listen to any of your questions, I just got my sound bites out right? You just asked me that question. And I was like, you know, I hear your question, but instead I really want to talk about objection handling. That's not what you asked me. So are you going to feel like I'm a good guest? I'm not listening to you, right? At the same point, people on sales calls, which is still the number one way where sales are made are in these conversations that are supposed to be conversations. But instead we get on a call and we automatically pull our wall up as receiver or potential receiver because we know that we're about to get word vomited on, right? And here comes the sales script. So strap into the roller coaster. We got a 28-minute call, right? You're going to spend 20 minutes of that cramming a script down my throat. And then at the end of it, you expect me to make a decision in that last eight minutes. How? You don't know a dang thing about me. It might be a problem. It might be a goal. It might be a pain point. You don't freaking know because you've been blabbing the whole time, right? So a lot of it is the art of knowing when to shut up and listen so that when it is your turn to talk, you can speak directly to those pain points, to those problems, right? So that's number one, big time, super duper duper. And then the other thing is the relationship piece is freaking critical Because people think that because the majority of selling momentum happens on sales calls, that if they don't get a quick yes on the sales call, you're done. Heck 
No, the majority of people that get on the phone today are not ready to buy today. We are not a bakery, y'all. If I go into a bakery, I'm going to eat that bread within the next 24 hours, right? If I go into a restaurant, I'm picking up or I'm sitting down. It's immediate. We have this immediacy idea, right? And so very few buyers are ready to say yes for myriad reasons. They're doing comparison shopping. They have other deciders, be them personal or professional. They got to run it by their spouse. They got to run it by their boss. If there's a kid involved, you got to do a lot of kid convincing, right? There's other deciders. There's other objections. There's timeline issues. Right now, we're at point of recording. We're in the middle of summer. A whole lot of people want to punt till fall because they're doing stuff, right? But if I look at any of those hesitations or delays as a future no, I'm not going to get after that, which is hilarious because sometimes, and I'll use my own business as an example here. Sometimes somebody hears me on a podcast like this and they become my client within about a week. They hear me, they go through my funnel, they're like, yes, this is it for me, super yes, and they're right in. The majority of my clients have been following me around the internet for at least a year. Imagine if I ignored all those people all this time. I'd be back, you know selling musical tickets. I I would not have a sustainable career because I understand that my bicycle is longer, right? So when we don't listen and when we try to force an issue on the call, when we try to get that yes now, when we try to literally air quotes, close the call with a transaction, sometimes people aren't ready for that. So what do we do? We give up or in sleazy selling, we try to arm twist them into making the decision faster through gimmicks like scarcity and urgency that just aren't real. So that's what's coming up for me when when you talk about that. But but y'all, relationships and conversations is selling. Sales scripts and manipulation is manipulation. <laughs> it's coercion. Not the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I like to highlight one of the things that you said was decision makers, because one of the things that I, I always pounded into my team, whether sales was their main focus or job or not, you know, that, you, well, first of all, I said, everybody's a salesperson, because the way that even if we've already landed the project and we're working with a customer, you're always, from a brand perspective and so forth, sell, continuously selling the organization. But the big point that you have to find out in that initial conversation is who's the decision makers. Mm-hmm. Cause there's plenty, plenty of people that can go into a room and say no, but don't have the authority or the power to say yes. Heck so, yes. So part of that initial conversation is understanding who has within the organization, who has the power to say yes. And can I get in front of that person? And it's what not is to say, there? It's what? not to say the person who only can say no is not important. Just you have to understand the lay of the land and who who has only the power to say no and who has the power to say no and yes. And that's the person you want to get to eventually in your sales campaign. Well, and their metrics of success, the secondary buyer, their metrics of success and what inspires, motivates them and what they're grading you on may be entirely different. Than Susie, who's on the phone with me right now. 
right? So I might have Susie on the hook. Susie might be drooling to work with me. But if Susie's a story, song, and dance kind of gal, and I've got her all wrapped up in the shiny of this, which works, right? I, I know on your show a lot, you've done a lot of great episodes lately about why and purpose, right? So if I've got Susie all wrapped up in why and purpose, yes, then Susie's got to go to Susie's spouse. And Susie's spouse is type A, all business. Is there a payment plan? How much is it going to cost me? How much money are you going to make? What's the timeline? How many modules are in the program? And what's the guarantee? Right? If I haven't told Susie any of that, because Susie and I are talking about good, good, feel, feel, which worked for Susie, we're alienating that second buyer. So now not only am I not going to get that sale because Susie cannot be the middleman effectively, I might even cause weirdness in that relationship. You want want Susie to be your influencer. Right. Exactly. And so instead, what we see, and especially, I don't do a lot of gendered stuff in selling, but let me talk about this one thing because I am lucky enough to be sitting here with two men. One of the main objections that I see used on women, by other women, but also by men or, you know, gender neutral people, whatever it may be, is the idea of you're an independent woman. You don't need to talk to your husband. I want to call BS on that and also be like, you don't know my marriage. Keep yourself out of my marriage, right? In that, I am an independent woman. I have been self-employed most of my life. I'm 38 years old. I stand on my own two feet. I am very political. I am very opinionated, as you both know. I make decisions on my own most times. I do not have joint checking with my husband, nor would it matter anyway, because I have a business account. Thank you, Mike McCallowitz, Profit First, right? So like my business finances do not impact my husband. They don't. However, I constantly live in a state of decision fatigue, a zillion percent, because I am a solopreneur and every decision that goes down through my business is made by me, often exclusively. So if I'm about to drop some serious coinage and I have even one shred of not even doubt, just indecision, I'm either going to go to my coach, my best friend, or my husband, depending on the bucket and who's available to me. And if you say to me, Annie, you're a business owner, you're strong, you're empowered, you don't need your husband's permission. I'm not going to him for permission, y'all. I'm going to him for validation and a different way to process my decision making. So we got to be really careful that we don't invalidate objections that are real and based on how people make decisions, right? It's the decision making process. If I have other deciders, either structurally or personally, and those decisions are important to me and those relationships are important to me, I'm going to take the time to go talk. So if you have not found out what's important to my husband, who I'm going to go ask, you're missing an opportunity to sell, right? So like I said, I don't do a whole lot of gendery stuff, but I don't see the I need to talk to my wife objection get pushed on nearly as aggressively as I see the I need to talk to my husband objection. Knock it off, y'all. So, because to that point, I want to kind of piggyback on that with this question, because a lot of, you know, you go into any, a lot of traditional sales training, right? And, you know, a ton of it is, 
overcoming objections and some of it can be from what I've found invalidating to a lot of points or trying to invalidate, right? Instead of affirming and then working on it as a partnership. Again, I use partnership in a lot of client relationships in my world. And I use the phraseology when I'm talking to somebody or prospecting for a client is I'm not looking for a transaction I'm looking for a mutual beneficial partnership and long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't care how long it takes us to get there if we're able to help. Right. But for a good salesperson, how, how would you say they really, and this kind of goes back to the question that we talked about with the, you know, value of self, mm-hmm. but how would you say for themselves and in their practice, they really, really focus on steering away from that used car sales point? I mean, you hit on, you know, building relationship, but from an introspective point, right? Again, that's what holds most people back from providing the best value. How would you say they can overcome that for themselves? You nailed it. Objection handling. Objection handling is the pivot point of sleazy selling into non-sleazy selling for most people. And it's 100% how it's taught because you were totally right. Now, one thing that you said in there, Zach, that I want to point out is you said, I want to be able to inform on that. Yes, inform on that is the goal. Yes, love that. The traditional school of sales and the nasty model and the car salesman model and everything else is based on the prevalent practice of arguing objections. If you don't want to be a sleazy salesperson, stop arguing objections, end of sentence. Stop arguing objections. Because even if they're giving you a pity objection or a politeness objection, oh, I can't afford it because they're not really interested. Even then, there is a modicum of truth to that objection. And if we come into it going, really, seriously, that's what's going to keep you out of this? I thought you really wanted this. Come on. We are now saying you are wrong. I am right. Only I can help you, you idiot. So you may as well get over your nonsense and sign up because ship's leaving. Whoa. This whole time we've been talking about relationships. Does that feel good? No, that's an ultimatum. Change your mind or get out. Whoa. Whoa. Right? And now we've already talked about the, I need to talk to my ex. I need to talk to my spouse. I need to talk to my spouse. Another one that I see all the time people argue, it's so gross. Don't do it. Is it's too expensive. Pricing objections are largely real. Yes, they're the easiest one to throw on like a Band-Aid. But if so... Grant Cardone, king of sales, very different person than me, says this absolutely right. If you're getting a financial objection, you have not been clear enough about value. Correct. So how can we inform to the value, to use your word, Zach, and not sit there and go, well, if you stopped going to Starbucks, I bet you could afford it. What about all those programs you bought last year that weren't any good? And this is how we're taught. We are taught to do this. If I say something is too expensive, then we're looking for cost replacement. Now, the cost replacement I love is don't make me pay any more money to Mark Zuckerberg. That one's going to get you every time. But they're like, you could do this instead of Facebook ads. Here's my money, my firstborn, and anything else you want because that's a pain point for me. 
right? All the money I'm shilling out to Facebook is a pain point for me. That's the only cost replacement that works on me. If you're like, you're wearing a really funky little dress, Annie, I bet you do a lot of shopping. So maybe if you just didn't buy clothes, I'd be like, this dress, like everything else I own, is secondhand. Back off. You don't know me. You don't know me, right? So don't drive a wedge in between you when that person has an objection. An objection is not a red flag of a future no. An objection is simply the marker of a question. It is a big neon sign that says there is confusion or a question here. Get after it. That's it. It doesn't mean ignore it. It doesn't mean nullify it. It means get after it. If they say that something's too expensive, that means it's more money than they wanted to spend on that call. Find out how to make that accessible. Find out what they were wanting to pay. Find out if a payment plan is more advantageous. Get after it. If they say that they need to talk to their husband, what's his name? What does he do? Does he want to talk to me? Is he around right now? How about Tuesday at 10? You want to talk? Do we three of us want to talk? Is that good? Get after it. Mm-hmm. Lean into it. There's confusion there. Right. But what we cannot do and what will violate the person 10 times out of 10 is take the objection, hear the objection, and then basically mock the objection back to them, as so many of us have been taught. Well, and it's almost right. Instead of basically sitting across from that person talking like this, Mm -hmm. you swing around the table, you get beside them and say, "Okay, let's figure this out together. Heck yes. Right. Yes. That's what I feel like so many people miss. Take them by the hand and figure it out together. And then that way, because if when you focus on the relationship, previously to what Andy said before, they might come back in a year. You don't know who their friends are either. Sometimes a sale is not a fit. I see all these people, their CRMs have two columns, one and lost. Mm-mm. I have one lost, iffy, which is my like long-term, and DQ, which means I decided as seller that this person is not right for me. DQ meaning disqualified, right? I see people calculate that DQ if they have it into the lost column. It's not. I didn't lose that sale. If somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, this is exactly what I need, and I need a papaya, and I only sell pineapples, is that a lost sale? No, it's not at all, right? But I see us going after these close rates so meticulously that we ignore referrals, testimonials, right? Introductions, long-term connections, partnerships, brand partnerships, promotional partnerships, joint marketing. Just having a good buddy out of it, right? To Andy's point at the very mm-hmm. beginning, we miss every possible other thing that that relationship could be if we force a quick yes or no. Yeah. So one of the workshops I offer for my clients is based on the 80-20 rule where mm-hmm. we spend 20% of our time on 80% of our customers because they're our ideal customers mm-hmm. and 80% of our time on the 20% that are not. You know, because the trap that entrepreneurs get into is dollar signs, dollar signs. Somebody's walking through the door. Oh, oh money, 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 money. Yep. And you need to decipher or figure out, you know, particularly in your first year as to what are the characteristics of your ideal customer. So that if somebody walks in, that's not, you've got an army list of people that would be. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you see a pattern of who's falling at 20% mm-hmm. and there's a vendor out there that's a better fit, you can start referring them over to that business. And oh, by the way, you've educated them through that process such that in the future, if they have a friend or they themselves go, oh, my, my need has changed a little bit. Now, Annie is a great fit for me. So I'm going back to Annie for the business. Mm-hmm. Or I have a friend or an acquaintance that's in that pocket, so to speak. So I'm going to send them to Annie because she helped me so well to understand why she's not a good fit for what my need is and treated me well and, and like a person and it was a win-win for the two of us because ultimately I went to the other vendor and got what I needed from that standpoint that the the long-term, you know, an, another item I talked to him about is the long-term relationship with a customer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a possibility to coming back from multiple iterations? You know, like Zach and I have a mutual friend that's a chiropractor. I, he's one of my customers and I talked to him about marketing dollars that you're spending and how are you approaching with that, with that customer about the long-term relationship you might be with 10 years, 15, 20 years with this person. And when they walk through the door, is that your vision for this person walking through the door or is it about that immediate, just that immediate transaction? Cause it's going to affect how you approach them in the, in the sales pitch. Right. I think everybody's got red flags. Right. And I think we got to honor those. And with the dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs, if we have these blinking neon dollar signs, which do get us all. I mean, I love a shiny object like anybody else. And I love having money in my account. Okay. Like no, no shame in that game at all. But especially if I'm in a period of financial stress, stuff's a little lean, got to pay my team, something like that. Those dollar sign blinky, 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 blinky are going to be a lot brighter than those neon red flags. Right. But I have those. And so one of the things is while I'm listening to them, I have to ask, is this money I want to make? Because some clients are nightmares, mm-hmm. nightmares. Mm-hmm. Right. And they so take up all your time. They take up all your time. The least value. Yes, exactly. Most work, least value. And so one of the quotes I heard that I was just like, oh, if I could stand up and create a nuisance, I will. I was at the She Podcast live podcast last October, and the opening keynote was the actor Cameron Esposito. And I don't know if her pronouns are she or they. So I'll just say Cameron. So Cameron had this incredible quote about how if you're dragging someone at stage one, you're still going to be dragging them at stage 50. Yep. And I, my jaw just detached from my body and fell out like a Disney cartoon. Like my my whole body just was like, what? That's the most perfect way ever to say what my red flag is. If I have to coerce someone to work with me for their own good or for my own good or whatever it may be in my brain at that point, then... That's exactly a perfect sign that they're going to provide little value, require a ton of me, right? And exhaust me. And because I run a group program, I also have to think about their role on the collective. Mm -hmm. If this person is a drain, that doesn't just hurt me. That hurts their growth because I don't know how to curb it. That's not my job. I'm not their parent, right? Or, you know, but at the same, or their therapist, but also on the flip side, I have other people who come to me for a safe and responsible place where they can come and profit. 
If I put a Tasmanian devil of drama in that room, that's on me, right? So I think one of the things we have to do when we come down is we have to go, look, these are my ideals. These are my close to ideals. These are my absolutely nots. And these are my probably nots, Mm -hmm. right? Because I have taken in my life way too many people because of financial necessity and it was never worth it. Maybe I paid a bill on time that I could have paid a little bit late, you know, and so I saved, you know, a couple points on my credit score that way. But the cost to myself and the detriment to my clients who want to be there is is too astronomical for me to ignore in the future. And everybody has that, right? For me, it's dragging. If I have to drag you, I don't want you. Not if I don't have to motivate you, because this stuff is hard and motivation is needed. Right. Motivation, willpower, tenacity, all of that stuff needs to be fueled. Grit. All of that stuff needs to be fueled. And sometimes fueled by an outside party is easier. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between me needing to encourage you and me doing all the work for you. Mm -hmm. I am your sales trainer. I am not your virtual assistant. Yeah. So it sort of leads me to to my next question is. Are good salespeople natural, meaning some people got it, some don't. It's a talent type thing. If you don't have it, you won't ever have it. Or can anybody become a good salesperson? I mean, right. Most people come come with the right mindset, the right training, the right skill development and so forth. You can become a good salesperson. Here's my argument. Most people already are selling beautifully. They just don't identify that role of their lives as sales. Love One it. of the main Love things it. I see, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> how, many, how many times, Zach, have you and I talked about that on this podcast? Right. I'm just saying, like, selling yourself. <laughs> nurses and social workers. A lot of people that come to me are like nursepreneur, transitioning nurses or mm-hmm. caregivers of some kind. Nurses and social workers come to me all the time. Can't sell, can't sell, can't sell. My heart's too big. I can't sell, I can't sell. I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. If you get someone in pain to take medication they don't want to take because you know that they need to, that is sales. People come to me and they're like, oh, yeah, I hate sales. I hate sales. I hate sales. I got kids in the background. I'm like, did you get that kid to eat a vegetable yesterday? That's sales. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, you needed them to work toward an outcome. They didn't want to go there. You convinced them to do it because you knew it was in their best interest and you got it done. That's sales. Parenting is sales. Coaching is sales. Nursing is sales. Dating right? is sales is the example Dating I always is use. Freaking sales. Marriage is sales because you're constantly looking for the one one, right? The one one, mm-hmm. the the win-win, right? So I think a lot of us show up in naturally, beautifully benevolent, empathic persuasive ways in other buckets of our life, but because of the stigma of selling, we don't go, oh. Yeah, I guess when I got my nephew to stop hitting his sister yesterday, that was sales. Huh, cool. If we can look at how we're selling every day, we can begin to see our own persuasive talents, right? But one of the things that drives me absolutely bonkers is all these traditional sales books try to teach empathy. 
what? They try to teach empathy. They're like, you need to learn empathy. And what's hilarious is over here on my side, in feel-good land, all of my service providers identify as empaths or having huge amount of empathy. And they're the ones who think that they can't sell because they have too much empathy. So guess what? Empaths, the number one thing you have to be able to do is identify someone's issues, talk to them with grace, and help them see what is best for them. That's called empathy. Introverts, what did I already say? The kiss of death of selling is talking too much. Naturally introverted, great listener. Oh, you're awesome at sales. Care bear personality, love the person you're talking to, don't want to swindle them. Then great, you're great at relationship management. You're awesome at sales. It's when we allow ourselves to see that the goodness in us is an excellent, connective, genuine tool. Then I say, everybody has natural sales ability. We're just not calling it that. We're calling it people skills. Well, to that point, Andy and I have a mutual friend that is a very successful entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And he was just gifted from birth, tall, dark, handsome. It's not even fair. Lucky. But, uh, successful, beautiful family, the whole nine. But he, he says, I'm completely a natural introvert. Like I, I don't like crowds. I typically don't like talking. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a you know one-on-one meeting with him, you realize you take up all the time talking because he's controlling the conversation by asking you questions to make you answer open-ended questions about yourself. And then you fall in love with him. Hallelujah. And he's one of the best storytellers I've ever encountered. Oh my gosh. Hallelujah. That's the ticket. That's it. Holla frickin' Hallelujah. Right. It's, it's, I mean, and and I'm loud as hell, as we know, we gave them a warning at the beginning to put their seatbelts on and turn their volume down. But, but what Zach said is also at the very beginning of this is also true. I got two modes. I got on and I got off. And the reason for that is that I'm an introvert. I am a very loud introvert, but I require a phenomenal amount of recharging. Huge. Right. Like after this, I probably won't talk for three hours. Why? Because I just talked for an hour. So, you know, I got to recharge. And so people that are more observant, less flashy, they're the ones that are always like, I can't sell. Nobody pays any attention to me. So what questions are you asking? Can you lead the thing along by asking really beautiful, provocative, deep, sometimes sensitive questions? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. If we're talking about pain points, we got to talk about pain. Well, and I feel like so many people, especially empaths and introverts, are afraid to cross that line. Yeah. They're afraid to ask the tough questions. And so they never get to the pain points to where they can provide that value. That's what holds people back. And I want to piggyback on that. So kind of circling back, talking about when, you know, P is greater than V, you don't get the close. Right. Right. Talk about how important it is to truly understand your product or your service. I mean, down to the nth degree when it comes to being able to provide value and being a good salesperson. Mm -hmm. How do you know if something's a fit if you don't know something's a fit? Right. And, And especially a lot of this comes out in that like, I serve every 
anybody with a pulse. And it's like, <laughs> right. And, and a lot of that is, is earnest, but a lot of that is also kind of chosen laziness to be like, yes, I'm going to appeal to everybody. And it's like, you don't really know your product that well then. I'm sorry. You just don't. Right. In that, you know, we had a really great discussion in the green room about Waffle House. Now, Waffle House could be for all people. Right. All people are welcome at the Waffle House. Sure that's one brand that actually appeals to all people. Right. But day. even so, when you walk in and sit down at a Waffle House, they don't treat you like all people. They treat you like you. Right. Hi. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Waffle House. What would you like today? Have you tried this, this, or this? People really tend to like it, but what are you coming craving? Also, it's three o'clock in the morning. You look like you've had a wild night. Maybe I'll leave you alone so you can just sort of sit here for a while, right? Like it's it's very individualized while appealing to everybody. And our businesses ain't Waffle House. I'm not open 24 hours. I don't have hash browns. I don't serve any kind of food whatsoever. And some people are going to be like, that little crazy girl is obnoxious. I'd rather give myself a root canal than be taught sales by her. That is your prerogative. Okay, that's your prerogative. But if I treated every single person coming in like I was the right provider for them, A, I look clueless. B, I look way too accessible. I look like the bargain basement version of something, right? Because if I'm for all people, then what's the specialness of working with me also, right? But I'm not looking at the problem underneath. I'm just looking at the quick solution, and that never really gets us anywhere. Mm-hmm. And now I want Waffle House hash browns. Mm. Yeah, I'm getting hungry listening to this conversation. <laughs> so I like to wrap, wrap up. And if you find yourself in Georgia, just hit us up. We'll make that happen. <gasps> yeah. Oh, now that's a reason to go on tour right mm -hmm. there. Boom. <laughs> so our, our time's coming towards the end. I'd like to wrap up with one, one more question before we get to the question that Zach and I ask every guest. Mm -hmm. um, and that is... Can you talk a little bit about the the art the art of the clothes? Uh, yes, I could talk about the art of the clothes. You know, I instead of all the arm twisting and yes. you know trying to ram something down somebody's throat and, mm -hmm. and and so to speak, what in your opinion is the keys to the art of the clothes let's, on a sale? Let's supplant that to the art of the ask. Or, or to ask. Right. Because we've already talked about the fact that the majority of buyers or the majority of prospects come to sales calls without the ability to say yes in that moment or without the desire to say yes in the moment. They're still exploring. Right. So instead, a lot of the stuff in the art of the close, a.k.a. the art of finishing the conversation, mm -hmm. is making sure you're on the same page for what comes next. Questions to the best of your ability have been answered. Objections to the best of your ability have been clarified, right? You've talked about value. You've learned. You've understood. Then what you do is you present the solution. Now, my favorite, favorite, favorite phrase to start this closing language is based on what you just told me because you've been listening the whole time. Right. So based on what you just told me about this, 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 this and this of my products and services, I do think you're a great fit. And of those, I recommend this. Why? Because of detail, 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 parroted back to them. Again, I've been listening the whole time. Does that sound like what you were looking for? Yes. No. 
If no, what else can you offer them? Or can you explain it better? If yes, proceed. If you proceed, you say, great. The cost for that is blank. And then you shut your mouth. The number one place I see babbling is in the critical spot of right after the price is named. If I babble over your thinking time, you cannot make a decision. I'm going to use Waffle House again. I go in Waffle House. It's three in the morning. I just want some freaking coffee, maybe some bacon, and then I'm going to get talked into biscuits and gravy because it's three o'clock in the freaking morning and I'm tired, right? So I'm in there. I'm going in. I don't know what I want. It's three o'clock in the morning. The server is lovely. The server comes up three o'clock in the morning and they're going, honey, did I tell you about the orange juice? It's fresh squeezed. It's fresh squeezed. Did I tell you about the chicken? It's really good organic chicken. You should have it. Have you ever had our chicken? Do you like chicken? What's going on with the chicken? Have you had chicken? I can't bring you a sample because we have to cook it, but did I tell you about the coffee? We have decaf, but it's three in the morning and you got to drive home, so you probably want normal coffee. Also, the coffee and the orange juice don't really go well together, darling, so don't get the fresh squeezed oranges in the coffee. Like, ah! Stop it! Stop Bring it! Bring into the ceiling! <laughs> Seriously! Stop it! What are you doing? How can I think? I can't think! And yet we do the same thing. The price for that is $1,500 over your first three months. You could pay for that, you, you know, jointly or in a payment plan. I have a payment plan. But you know what? You seem like really nice guys and you're in Georgia and I love Georgia. Oh, my God. I love Atlanta. Oh, my God. That's so fun. You know, and like, you know, it's not the same in the like economy and everything. And like, you know, we might be going into a recession and it's been a hard week in America and everything else. So like, you know, I'm thinking like, how about like $500? Up. Shut up. Right? So part of the close is knowing when to hold your cards and shut your mouth. You've done your best. You've delivered your information. You've handled objections with grace and empathy. You've listened more than you've talked. You've parroted those details back so that person feels heard. And like your assessment of them being a good fit for you is correct. Do yourself a favor. Ask plainly and then shut up. That's the art of the close. All great sound advice. Very. Did I tell you about the fresh squeeze sword? <laughs> Shush. So, Eddie, we greatly appreciate you coming on the show today and, and educating all of us on the art of the clothes and sales, what makes a good salesperson. It's all, I think my, my favorite moment was the whole conversation about we're always in sales. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's in the, Zach and I have had many a conversation about personal branding and that you're always selling and marketing yourself. Yep. Not that you're trying to sell anything, but just the, the way that you're presenting yourself to the world, you're doing, you're doing a sales campaign to find your tribe in life. Yeah. You're advocating for you to take up space. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. So we're, we're going to ask you a question. We ask every single guest that comes on to our show. There is no right or wrong answer. It's about what's in your heart. So that, that question is, what do the words generate your value mean to you? To me, they mean including yourself in your own success. If I am not generating my value, historically, the roadblock of that has been me. Not my clients, not my industry, me. So generate your value to me means understand the impact that you can make 
get after earning for it. Do not shoot yourself in the foot. Do not excessively discount. Don't talk yourself down. Don't bargain basement your brain. Generate your value. Include yourself in your success. I like that answer. I want to drop my microphone, but I don't want to break it. Yeah. Yeah. That happens all the time. Like I got this gorgeous sure mic and I'm like, this is my baby. So I'm going to drop it in my brain into like in, into like a, a nice basket of soft plush pillows. Packing peanuts. There we go. There you go. <laughs> that way you at least get some effect when some of them pop up. You get some pizzazz. Yeah, you get some some zhuzh, right? It's got some <laughs> essence and then also like crunchy peanut sound. There you go. Yeah, I could sit here and talk to you forever, Andy, but uh, so For real. Why, don't you, why don't you close us out? <laughs> Before we keep going. Listeners and guests. Well, Annie, first off, thank you so, so much for your insight, your energy this morning. I mean, start off our morning in an amazing way, for sure. Caffeine plus Annie equals a great day, apparently. So, and to our listeners, thank you for taking time and investing your time with us. I don't want to have people spend their time or waste their time, but invest your time with us that it does generate value in your life. And as always, if if our message hit you today or Annie's message more so, you know, click that subscribe button, give us a follow, follow us on our journey to generate more value in this world and definitely hop over on any podcast platform. Go find Annie P. Ruggles and give her episodes some listen. I'm sure you'll get some value from that as well. And if you know anybody that you say, wow, they really need to hear this message or any of our others, share the link with them invite them to join us on our journey as well. Yeah, so we we know your time's important. We greatly appreciate the fact you decided to choose it with us for the last hour or so. And we hope you have a great day, have a great week and take care. We'll see you next time on the Generate Your Value podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Generate Your Value podcast. If you find our conversations to be useful in your life, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can find me online on Instagram at The Fitzpreneur, Facebook, and LinkedIn. For information on my coaching services, if you're in the Atlanta area, go to www.generateyourvalue.com. You can also find me and my company on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply search for Generate Your Value on those platforms. Once again... Thanks for joining us for today's podcast, and we invite you to generate your value in this world.